Up next, Season 1, Episode 1, the premiere of Inside Champ Car. Welcome to the premiere episode of Inside Champ Car on the Race Wire Podcast Network. I'm Brian Belansky. Inside Champ Car is our latest podcast to join the Race Wire family. Inside Champ Car is a weekly deep dive into the TireRack.com Champ Car Endurance Series. The series offers more than 30 endurance races from coast to coast and even a few races north of the border. Joining me on this interweb podcast adventure is none other than Bill Strong. Hello, Bill. Hey, Brian. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. Uh, This is an interesting culmination of an interesting start to a relationship. Yeah. We we, we have a mutual friend. We do. um, That uh, I met through my wife. Who uh, who's a nurse, and uh, this friend is a nurse, and you worked with a local TV station here in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, which is near where I live now. Right. And uh, I had we were just starting up our uh, Champ Car Live, or at the time it was Ch- uh, Chump Car Live, or something like that. Right, we right. called it way back in the day, and I had no clue what we uh, what kind of equipment to use. And I posted up on Facebook, and uh, Suzanne, who's a friend of ours, yeah. she uh, um, she got me in touch with you, and you were working for a. a, a national tv station out in uh los angeles yep and uh you actually pointed me into some gear that was affordable and was just kick butt so much so i'm still using that gear to this day cool um seven years later i think it's five or six six years later and um yeah it's and and i've asked you for tips and uh tricks over the years and uh it's been pretty awesome yeah thank you by the way it's funny because you know suzanne says you gotta meet bill he's a car guy you know, and and I I get that so often. You know, yeah, and yeah. usually, you know, it's th- there are some true car guys out there, and that's great, and I love it. And and then other people are like, you know, he owns a Mustang, which is not, I have nothing against Mustangs, but you know, there's a difference between he owns a Mustang and he's a car guy. Well, there's a lot so, of people that sit on the side of the road that don't like Mustangs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, you know, but you and I got a chance to chat and, yeah. and we've been, you know, became friends and, and now we're here doing something that, uh, probably eight years ago when we started this thing or however long it was, neither one of us thought we'd be sitting here doing this, but no. we, we are now co-hosts of Inside Champ Car and I'm excited as heck. Now you're a car guy too, right? I am. I yeah. am. I, uh, I have been involved for 30 plus years in this crazy sport we call racing. It's all my dad's fault. He he bought a car when I was 16, and I was his, I'm um, using air quotes, which you can't see yeah, on the radio, yeah. but I, I was his crew chief at age 16. I, I knew how to change the tires and, and dump all the oil onto the pavement underneath the car when I forgot to put yeah. the oil pan, plug back in the oil pan after trying to change it. That's a long story. We'll probably tell sometime. Uh, but over <laughs> the years, uh, I've, I've done everything from being the crew chief to driving to being a, a car corner worker, a flag chief at one point in time. Uh, I've covered motorsports off and on and mostly on across my entire journalism career uh, from television. I, I covered the Daytona 500 for for a a network that has the C at the front and an S at the end. And uh, and and I did some work for ESPN and, and on and on and on. So I've got a long history both on the broadcast and on the the racing side of this sport, and the fact that I get to sit down on a regular basis and combine the, combine the two things I love is just 
just uh, I can't. It's it's an amount of gratitude I can't even put into words. So uh, now you've done other things too, like uh, endurance racing, which is what Champ Car is all about. I have actually um, endurance racing is my jam. I, I love everything about endurance racing. I, I I I love everything from the strategy involved with it, logistics involved with it. I love the idea that you have to have a team to do it. You can't just get in the car by yourself and drive around for twenty four hours or or twelve hours or six hours even. And and I just I, it's you know cars for me are a as much a social thing as it is a, a competition thing. You know, and when I can get together with my buddies you know, and do it together. It's just a whole lot of fun. And that's why I've always loved endurance racing, Le Mans and Daytona. I've covered the Daytona 24 several times and, and all of that. So it's, it's, it's my thing. So this is going to be fun for those listeners out there who, who don't know you, although I find that hard to believe that there's anybody in the world that doesn't know Bill. Uh, what, what, what's your background in all of this? Well, I, um, you know, high school kid, I had the, the, the best hot rod in the world, a uh, 1973 Chevy Vega. You know, nice. everybody loves the hot, you know, the, the Vega. It was the muscle car of its time. Yeah. Um, or at least that's what I thought at 17 years old, you know. Um, There's some Super the, B and, and Roadrunner guys out there who, who might disagree with you. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But go ahead. Talk about yeah, the Vega. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's how I got my start. Um, I, I joined the Air Force straight out of high school, went to Europe, and uh, – a buddy of mine, I, you know, I was into, into, I got into the Ford uh, Capris um, as a little hot, you know, hot riding around just, but it was a V4, mm-hmm. which, you know, everybody knows is the ultimate uh, four cylinder. Um, if you, if you like noise. Um, but uh, I went over there and a buddy of mine said, Hey, I, I'm going to this formula race. Okay. I, I, I watched the formula one stuff on, you know, ABC back in the day. And, um, when I was a kid and yeah, let's go to this. So we went to Brands Hatch and nice. in 1982 and got to see the uh, European Grand Prix. And um, so that may have been 83. I kind of forget. I get the two years mixed up, but um, and it was a blast. It was back when Formula One, you could actually walk in the paddock. You paid 10 pounds to get in the paddock and talk to the drivers. And I met a guy um, and I remember him sitting on his tire. His name was Senna something or another. Yeah, um, got I've to heard talk of him. To him for yep yeah, for a couple of minutes. A couple of other folks too that would later on be, become big time drivers, and some that just you never heard from them again. Right. Um, and I got to talk to them, and and then I got to walk around the track and take pictures, and I thought this was the best thing ever. These cars are insane fast, and uh, the sounds and that stuff, and that got me hooked on actual racing, and it was one of those things I didn't know. You know, I, I, when I came back from from Europe, I tried to get into racing, and it was the the how, how you got into racing cost a lot of money mm-hmm. back in the day and, and today. it was hard and nobody would tell you how to do it. And that was the hard part. So I started autocrossing. I had a buddy that worked at the uh, Chrysler desert proving grounds in Phoenix. Mm. He, um, uh, he said, Hey, we're doing this autocross. I see you have this little hot rod Toyota Corolla and an AE 86 brand spanking new, uh, uh, um, ha, you know, hot rod Toyota Corolla Corolla GTS. Yes, it was a hot. No, it was my little street racer car. <laughs> and he said, Hey, you should take that off the street and come do an actual autocross. And I had no clue what autocross was. So I uh, went there and was blown away. I had so much fun. Right. Um, I just, every weekend I was out dodging cones and um, in parking lots around the Phoenix area and nice. ended up going to New Mexico and California and stuff. Um, and then I wanted to get bigger and bigger and I wanted to do more wheel to wheel racing. Couldn't, couldn't figure out how to do it. Went back to Europe, 
um, uh, with the military and uh, tried doing some stuff over there and just ran out of money instantly because it was so expensive. Right. Kind of got out of that, got into other types of racing mountain bikes and, you know, soccer and crazy things as you do in your 20s and 30s. In Europe. And, yeah. And well, even here in the States <laughs> right. came back and, and um, I, uh, I started up a, a well, I, I took a message board. Remember best message boards are big, oh, yeah. big in the nineties. And uh, we started out a, a Toyota MR2. I'm a, I'm a Toyota MR2 guy, as people know. Um, I, I uh, we started up this thing called the MR2 OC and it went from a couple hundred people to a hundred thousand plus members worldwide. Um, One of the biggest uh, and oldest uh, Toyota clubs out there. Um, We, uh, I I sold that or my buddy uh, decided to uh, go to this thing called 24 hours of lemons Mm. uh, with a couple of buddies, speedy cop, remember him? Um, And uh, came back and said, dude, we have to do this. We have to do this. I'm just, what do I need to do? Let's do this. So uh, we started up mod squad racing. And, uh, it's, it was going to be based on the moderators doing the, uh, doing the racing and come to find out it was only David and I that did it. We brought in a couple of other guys, Troy Trulio and, and, uh, 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 some Canadian folks and uh, that, that race or that we knew. And, uh, we started at racing in lemons, did a few of those. And then champ car in 2009, um, made it known that they were going to do basically low budget racing. And, uh, with, you know, not the pageantry of, of, of lemons and, uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting way to phrase that. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of folks in our series got their start there and, and they wanted to do more serious racing. And that's something I wanted to do. I, I, if I got two wheels off, I didn't want to get black flagged in to, uh, talk about how I got dust on their track. So, um, and that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted to do more serious racing and more serious car building. Right. And uh, my buddy wanted to stay in the in the lemon stuff, so we we went our separate ways. And I started up racing strong motorsports uh, as as the racing part of it. And uh, we have uh, we built a Toyota MR2 with a Camry V6. And I uh, would do uh, started out with a few races a year, and that developed into 10, 12 races a year, and it was just insane amount of work and. And I'm at the same time, I'm working for the University of Virginia. And um, next, uh, we, we finally win some races and, and have some fun and or win a race, I should say, not some races, a race. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it was, you know, 60 some odd races for me to finally win one. But, um, you know, we've done a lot of racing for other teams in that. And uh, that's when um, Mike Chiswick, the at the time CEO of Champ Car, uh, or actually uh, an event director, and regional director for champ car. He asked me to come help him and do some social media stuff. And, uh, that kind of led into, uh, Paul Veltham, uh, doing some things with us with champ car live or Champ car live at the time. And, uh, I came on with that and we, I was a pit reporter for, for some races and Paulie actually produced the show and, uh, it's kind of got way out of hand. Let there me you tell you, it go. has got way out of hand. And, uh, that's, and I got hired on as a marketing director of champ car about four years ago. And, uh, it's, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it seems like it's been forever. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk to folks about what we're going to do here on inside champ car. You know, it's, we're going to be here every week. Yep. Uh, we're going to deliver a new podcast, uh, in time for people to listen to it on the way to the racetrack. That's my favorite way to listen to motorsports podcasts yep. is as I'm towing or, or driving to a race for a particular weekend. 
And what we're going to have on the show is a combination of a bunch of stuff, and it's going to vary from week to week. Uh, we're going to talk about the upcoming races. Yep. We're going to talk about the last race. Uh, we're also going to have driver and crew interviews. We're going to do some tech tips, and we've, got, and we've got one coming up for you in just a few minutes here on this episode. And then update people on series news, things they need to know, things they want to know, things maybe they don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and you and I are going to hopefully have a whole lot of fun doing it along the way. Uh, you know, I think one of the best parts is that I'm going to do my best to mercifully pick on Bill every episode. Jo- just join the line. You'll, you'll be there. <laughs> and it's going to be fun, you know, and, and we're going to, you know, the drivers, the teams, the crews, that's what this is all about, honestly, is to give them a chance, a platform to talk about what they do why they love champ car you know why they why most of them spend their own money to do this and yeah. and and never 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 break even ever 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 <laughs> so well, i mean if you do it right you can okay um well let's talk about that at some point too because yeah that's a cool concept to me yeah so so that's what the show is going to be about you know we're going to have opportunities for you know everybody to get involved and 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 that should be a ton of fun so uh, let's get to this tech tip because I think you want to get some people some info right away here that's useful to them, and uh, and let's talk about that real quick. So your tech tip tech tip this week we're going to talk about exhaust systems, right? Yeah, exhaust systems. So Champ Car has a uh, a nationwide year long sound limit, um, which is ninety six dB at fifty yards. Um, one of the, and there's a few tracks that actually have less than that. You know, Laguna Seca is down to, I think, 90 dB. Uh, right. There's some tracks that are, you know, the houses are starting to encroach on them. So uh, they're wanting to reduce their, their decibel level as well. Um, there's a uh, there's a few tips that we've learned over the years. Um, exhaust systems was kind of my specialty with the race cars about how to make them work. And done, I've done a lot of study on, on the, you know, power and, and, you know, quietness and, and in endurance racing sound is a big issue with making you tired. Uh, it can, you know, the louder the car, um, the, the, the less focused you can be. Um, it just takes a lot out of you. Sure. So we've learned over the years that a quieter car can make driving a lot easier and not, you know, using a proper muffler, um, on the car helps placing that muffler in the proper spot is a, another help, you know, don't put it too close to the headers or the exhaust outlet, or, you know, you want it towards the end where it's a little cooler, the heat from an endurance race. Cause it just keeps the heat goes up and up and up and it can actually melt pipes and do crazy stuff to gaskets and, and bolts, you know, you want to use bolts to bolt it all together. Um, one of the things that we found over the years is to chain up your exhaust. You know how you have your hangers that hold it up, right? Well, hangers can break hangers can, can, you know, when your driver decides that maybe that black stuff on the track is not the fastest way around the track sure. and it tends to, you know, put those two tires up and the exhaust system, every lap hits the curbing, um, you know, just skids across it. And some of the curbs out there are pretty tall and bumpy. So uh, you tend to uh, might lose your uh, hangers. So if you have a chain supporting the exhaust every few feet or every couple of yards, something like that, depending on how long your exhaust is, um, that can actually hold it up and keep it from falling down. And when your exhaust is dragging on the ground, guess what? We're going to black flag you. Mm. Champ car will black flag you, bring you in, make you fix it. Guess what you're not doing when you're doing that? 
making not laps, making laps. Exactly. exactly. So um, you, uh, you, you hang that exhaust up and there's less likely, let's say it does come disconnected from the header now inside the car. And this is from experience inside the car, maybe a hundred million decibels, but outside it may not be as loud. So we may not black flag you if those bolts fall out of that exhaust system. Now, is right. it the safest thing to do because of carbon monoxide poisoning? Probably not. Yeah. Um, that, but that's up to the driver and the team. But <laughs> And you have less chance of losing your exhaust system or a team returning your exhaust system because it's actually you know, embedded into their front window or their radiator or nice. stuff like that, which teams don't really like. And Oh, they're so picky. I know. It's like, but it oh. looks so cool sitting out of the front of your car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a car but, once that wouldn't make sound at, at some tracks and would make sound at other tracks. And yeah. we realized that, well, maybe we just create a exhaust pipe that we could flip to the left side of the car mm -hmm. on some tracks and to the right side of the car on the other tracks based on where the microphone was measuring well, the sound. Yeah, and that's something. And, and one of the things people ask me, where are you doing, where are you doing a, the... Right the sound checks at and it's i use the scca sound boost i go where the scca does they've been right. doing this for 100 million years they've got a lot more experience than i have and that's what i do it and people ask me what gear are you using who 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 um who calibrated your right. gear and i put up <laughs> notes this is the sound thing i bought the sound meter i bought off of amazon you you can buy your own if you want to test your car um is it calibrated <laughs> I don't know. It gives me a number. <laughs> and as long as everybody has the same number, then we're good to go. Um, and, you know, everybody comes by me at 92. It's hitting 92. And I can tell they're not very loud. Or even if it says 97. Right. If they're all the, and then some guy comes through and goes, uh, 112. Guess who's going to get black flag? 112. But now I'm not in charge of black flag. I will report all my set, all, all my sound numbers to right. the race director it's up to the race director some race directors are a little more lenient than others but uh, we pretty much keep it all the same um but yeah it's 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 funny and we had a guy at a uh, laguna seca which is probably one of the hardest tracks to actually hit sound you know to get sound at because even stock cars are too loud right when i say stock cars i mean you drive it off the uh the the showroom lot right right and the car might not even pass so <clears throat> The guy's like sitting there in the in the parking lot. I said, dude, you're hitting way too loud. And he's sitting there with his BMW just wang, wang, wang. And it's not loud. It's not loud. It's quiet. And I'm just like, well, it has to be under load. I'm a sound engineer and I do this and that. And, it's, you know, and I'm like, dude, it's take it out. Go down the front. Go down the um, the pit lane. And I'll let you know. Yeah. And he did. This was on a practice. And it was uh, it was loud. And it's like, see, and he's like, no, it can't be. This company built this for me, blah, blah, blah. And so he's sitting in the paddock and he's perplexed about what's going on. And he starts it up and I, I get to the back of the car and it's like, yeah, there's something wrong here. I put my hand over the exhaust pipe it, and there's not nothing even. coming out. Yeah. And I said, floor it. And it my nothing, you know, it's. And it's cold. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's just a little bit coming up, not yeah. much. And I, you know, jack up the car. So he jacks up the car and he goes down to where the, the uh, exhaust manifold and the B pipe or the right. B pipe and the back, the, the cat back actually connect up. The guy that had welded, the, the company that had welded up an exhaust system had used an adapter to make it all work. You know, those right. cheap little adapters you, you get at like yeah, AutoZone. Yeah. And there was no complete welds. 
and there was there was probably a, about an inch and a half of space of that the air could come out. So air actually finds the least resistance sure. and you know, mufflers resistance. Yeah. So it just found its way out there. So they were they were able to fix that and get back on track. But it's those little things that you, as a car owner or builder, or even one of the team leads. You need to get under that car and check every single weld and do it every race because uh, or before the race, preferably not during the race, but it, it run your finger across all the welds to make sure everything's up, make sure the gaskets are good, you know, yep. take them apart. And sometimes, you know, with the heat of an endurance race, those gaskets and sometimes the gaskets that come with the exhaust system you bought off eBay aren't exactly the best. Cool. And uh, they will blow out things like that. Yep, so yep. that's your tip tip for t- tech tip for the day. That's awesome. That's awesome. So one of the things I want to tell you is, is I, I, my background is in lots of motorsports, but not champ car. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I'm looking forward to with this podcast is I'm, I'm sure you're going to shake your head sometime because I'm going to ask the dumb new guy questions. And, and why I think that's cool is because if I have that question, I'm sure there's someone oh, yeah. who's just getting into champ car who has the same question. So, and, and I'm going to learn along the way, well, you know, let me tell you this. I, I worked in munitions in the Air Force. Oh, that's your a, problem. A, I was a bomb guy. Yeah. What'd you say? Yes, exactly. Huh? Um, <laughs> nuclear and non-nuclear oh, boy. munitions. So there was always that there is no such thing as a dumb question. And I've kind of lived my life through that because I ask dumb questions all right. the time. But I expect them from other people, too. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Yeah. It's, and, you know, so go ahead. Shoot. What's your number one question with Champ Car right now? Um. Can I bring classes, cars from other series to come play in Champ Car? To a point, yes. You can't bring stock cars. You can't be, bring full uh, um, tube frame cars. Basically, production cars. Um, IT cars will normally work. There's some things that we require that you have to have, which is a fire system in date. Not a fire extinguisher, but an actual plumbed right. fire system to the engine and to the driver. Drivers, number one, of course, we always say engine first, but driver and then to the engine and fuel system. You, you don't need it on the fuel system. It's just recommended. It's whatever the, the manufacturer says to do with it. Um, window nets, you have to have those and they have to be in date. Your seatbelts have to be in date. Um, best way to do it is look at the rule book. We do have a class uh, called EC for exception class. And those cars are kind of outside the rules. They have all the safety requirements. They have the 180 or higher treadwear tires on them um they you know they have a carb say have carb you know we have a the the cars with carbon fiber wings and stuff like that we don't allow carbon fiber in champ car with the exception of interior driver comfort stuff um but if you show up with a carbon fiber wing automatic ec um carbon fiber stuff you know fenders or whatever ec class will allow you to run and have fun you just don't count towards the overall you don't um you know when we go to pick up the car for the pay you know with the pace car, we'll pick up the leader of the race, which is not EC. So, uh, you know, if you have a bigger fuel tank or a smaller fuel tank or actually a larger fuel tank than what uh, two gallons over are the maximum stock tank, you'd have to go to EC. So we allow anybody to race. Um, we do ask that you don't bring like M3s uh, unless you want to race an EC. They usually don't do well. They're fast. They just take a lot of fuel right. um, or port, you know, the Porsche 911s and stuff like that. We really don't because the closing speeds of some of these cars are just so much higher right we had a practice at sebring a couple of weeks ago where uh um a lot some races we do track days we work with a couple of uh track um you know the hpde clubs like sure. uh, hooked on hooked on driving and um they allowed a or they had a 
um, AMG GT or not GT is it GT three? Yeah, or GTR? Yeah. No, it's AMG. It was an AMG, but it was the same car that they use. Like uh, Riley runs, right? Riley Tech runs in uh, IMSA. Uh, GTD. Sorry. Got it. Okay. And uh, he was out there, and it was actually kind of interesting to see the speed differential between that car and some of our faster cars in our city. And uh, and oh, it was fast. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. cornering speeds from that car was just insane. And you know, tires helped. Cool. Cool. Well, we'll get into a lot more about that. So I'm looking forward to this. I think it's time for us to take a quick break. When we come back, Champ Car CEO and President Dana Morrison joins us. We'll be right back. This is Inside Champ Car on the Racing Wire Podcast Network. Inside Champ Car is a podcast that takes a deep dive into all things going on with the Champ Car Endurance Series. Hosted by veteran journalist, radio host, and racer Brian Belansky and Champ Car's very own Bill Strong, we talk to drivers, team bosses, tech gurus, and series supporters. Episodes air every week in time for you to listen on your way to the track. Inside Champ Car is on the Racing Wire Podcast Network, found on Apple, Spotify, Google, and most popular podcasting apps. Welcome back to Inside Champ Car. I'm Brian Belansky. He's Bill Strong. Our guest today is the the head honcho, the grand poobah, as you might say, of the Champ Car Endurance Series, Dana Morrison. Dana, welcome. Uh, good morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I mean, it's it's the premiere episode, you know, season one, episode one. It, there, there's really no other way to get started than with the guy who's in charge. So, uh, although I will say, when I do podcasts like this, I typically wait like three or four episodes in so we kind of get a groove before we get the big guy on but you're you're living dangerously to join us today this is the first time in champ car i've ever come in first on anything there you go there you go and and i don't know it might be the last for all we know so hey. <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it where i can get it <laughs> there you go there you go so so let's talk racing i understand uh from from a little background research that uh you are a car guy through and through, what what's your what was your interest in getting involved with Champ Car? So yeah, I, I would definitely say I'm a car guy. I, I had the usual, you know, typical upbringing of you know taking apart cars as kids and realizing that they're much more difficult to put back together than they are to take apart. Um, but yeah, I've I've always been a car guy. Always dabbled in them. Always been a race fan, and probably like a lot of the Champ Car members, I um, you know, I, I dabbled in, in owning cars and playing with them and autocrossing them and whatnot, but never quite had the resources to go racing. You know, even in, when Champ Car and our, our founding organization started, even the most cost accessible forms of racing were, were still pretty high. There was quite a, a step up to go from autocrossing or even solo stuff to jump up to wheel to wheel. So, you know, I, I built a factory five. In fact, I was actually right in the middle of building a Triumph Spitfire that I was putting a complete Miata undercarriage in and driveline and everything. And and we were going to do some grassroots stuff with that and some autocrossing time trials. And around 2009, we started hearing about this whole budget based endurance stuff. And we started looking at the cost and realized, hey, if I got some friends, I think I know one or two people, we, we can do this. And uh, so I, I ended up ditching the Triumph project because I knew there's never any way I was going to get that sanctioned to actually go wheel to wheel. And 
like a lot of other people, we, we grabbed the platform. Ours happened to be a Miata because it was cheap and easy. And um, probably like a lot of the Champ Car teams, we started off with about nine people, built the car and, and went racing. And over the course of a couple of years, we stabilized at about five people who, who really stuck with it. You know, like a lot of, again, like a lot of Champ Car teams, people, people get interested up front, but then they kind of drift away and you're left with kind of a stable core. And, and we just went racing. And from that first race, I was hooked. Um, mm. I, I knew, I knew like the first time I got in the car that this was not autocrossing. It was not solos, you know, nothing against that. It is, it is good. It's a good way to learn how to drive a car, but man, there's nothing like going wheel to wheel with another team. And, uh, yeah. I was hooked from there. I've been, I've been stable in champ car ever since. So I, I, one thing real quick, you would have fooled nobody with the Triumph because if it didn't smoke, <laughs> if it didn't leak oil, and if it didn't have an electrical problem every 15 laps, everyone would know that there's no way that's a Triumph. So, well, um, I've got a I've got a 61 Austin Healey that's all original sitting in the garage now. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm rule number one in the morning in the garage is go mop up the oil under the Austin. So, yeah, I got you. It's it better to, doesn't the oil keep the uh, Lucas Electrics working, though? Well, sort of, you know, it depends. Some, some, some electrical systems are oil-based. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so we're coming up on the one year anniversary of your, your tenure as the, the, the guy at the top of the, of the series. How, how did you get from, I'm a racer in champ car to I'm the boss? So, um, oddly enough, there's some times when I look around and I ask myself that same question. <laughs> How did I get here? What what forces were at play that led me to this? <laughs> you got um, the old Admiral Stockdale thing. Who am I and yes. why am I here? Why am I here? Uh, and, and actually, that segues into kind of a, a good way to, to answer and, and talk about something else. Um, I started off volunteering for Champ Car on Pit Lane. When my team was not racing, I would volunteer and I would go work some races. And a little bit of that was because in the 2010 period, some of you may remember that there was this little oil spill out in the Gulf of Mexico, this, this little thing called Deepwater Horizon. Yep. And uh, so I got mobilized with the Coast Guard and I ended up spending two years out there working on the oil spill. So I was away from my team. So I was literally doing the arrive and drive thing, right? My team would work and build on the car and haul it to wherever. And I would fly in, race and fly back to my deployment. Um, so, but whenever they had a race nearby that my team couldn't make it to, I would go and I would volunteer so I got to know Mike Chiswick. I got to know the organization. And little by little, I just kept volunteering and kept working. And eventually Mike came to me and said, listen, I, I need somebody to run the timing and scoring equipment for me. You know, it's a, it's a staff job, not a full-time job, but a staff job. So I took that. And back in that, at that time, Mike was pretty stable and pretty serious about you either work for Champ Car or you race with Champ Car. So I departed from my team and went to work running timing and scoring equipment, did that for several years. And little by little started running race control whenever Mike wasn't up there. And for those of you that, you know, have any kind of, you know, operational experience, being in race control, being the race steward moment to moment is a lot like being an OD, right? If you've ever been on, on a ship or a unit where you've got like the designated officer of the day, you're just kind of the momentary person in charge. And it kind of just fell right into my wheelhouse with my background. It was relatively, you know, an easy switch for me. And I did that for quite a while. And eventually Mike said, listen, I need another full-time race director. So that was a full-time job with Champ Car. 
so I took that job and started running races. And that was right about the time when Mike kind of switched up the way things were organized. In the old days, Champ Car was seriously divided between East, West, and Central. You know, right, we had right. three distinct regions. And Mike wanted to kind of spread that around and kind of reduce the little the little differences you get when you've got hard and fast differentiated areas. So I started working races across the country as Mike redid the schedule. And last year, as two years ago now, when Mike decided, you know, he'd done it, he'd run his course, it was time to go. I, um, I offered my resume to the board of directors and uh, sat through the interview and they offered me the job and, and here I am. So what I would segue back with that on is for people who are looking to get involved in Champ Car, even if you don't want to make the jump right away to getting on a team, or if you are on a team and you want to see a little bit more about how the organization is run on the inside, we are always looking for volunteers to work with us on pit lane. We, we pay you a couple bucks an hour and uh, we'll feed you and take care of you while you're out there. It's a good way to see how the organization is run if you're looking to get involved in the series or if you're just on a team and you know, looking to find, spend some time and see how other teams are doing it. It's a great opportunity to find out a little bit more and who knows, may lead you to this job or another, another job. You know, I'm always looking for timing and scoring equipment, people, and the pathway in is to start working with us on pit lane and see how the organization runs. And that's the pathway to involvement. It worked for me. The problem though, if you work on pit lane, is you've got to work with Bill. No, 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 not necessarily. We oh, okay, good. All over the place. Yeah. And they do. They do. <laughs> they do. So you've been on you've been on the job now for a year, you know. Tell us what that first year was like. Um, it was the proverbial sip of water from a fire hose. And, <laughs> and I've been working with Mike pretty pretty closely. Mike and I are still really good friends. We stay in touch. And and if it sounds like I'm referencing Mike quite a bit, it's because I am, because we are all standing on the shoulders of what Mike Chiswick built here and, and those of us who were in Champ Car before. So, you know, I, I didn't start any of this stuff from scratch. I'm, I'm coming into a very stabilized platform. Um, but one of the things you learn from, you know, again, being involved in military service is every time a new commanding officer or executive officer, somebody switches in, it's a good opportunity to kind of shake up some inherent stability. Mike had started a lot of initiatives that had just not quite gotten to fruition. And uh, usually, like with any initiative, you know, they kind of get stalled near the end because well-intended people want to keep refining them and making them a little better or tweaking it. And some of those things were like the online uh, VPI value tech forms, right? That is something we've been talking about for a while. And I finally just said, all right, let's just make it happen. And we rolled it out last year at VIR. And it has dramatically decreased the amount of time that teams spend in tech. It allows the teams to value their car electronically. When they come to the racetrack, the tech inspectors don't have to go through all the people's math homework. They just check the safety equipment, send them on down the road over to registration and done. So there's a couple of things like that that we've been able to roll out. Same thing with the Flagtronic system. It was something that we've been talking about and refining and talking about and refining and testing. And I finally talked to the folks at Flagtronics and said, let's just implement it. Whatever you got right now, let's just roll it out and, and try it at the track. And um, it worked It worked well. We learned a lot of things. I think Bill would agree that the Flagtronics system we're running now yeah. is a culture change ahead of where it was this time last year. And it's because we just put it out, right? You know, there's the old expression, right? Perfect is the enemy of good enough. 
right? So we just put it out there and started using it. Even the people at Flagtronics learned a lot about their own system and they've been able to dramatically improve it. And now we have what we consider to be an onboard flagging two-way communication system, I think that rivals any others in, in at least amateur to low pro level motorsports. I, I don't think I'd put it up against an F1 system, but it's a lot cheaper than an F1 system. So Dana, um, tell, tell us a little about what is Flagtronics for those that don't know what we're talking so, about. Oh boy. <laughs> Thanks for throwing that easy one at me, Bill. Flagtronics is an onboard flagging system. So if you imagine that you're driving a race car and you are used to seeing flags from a person standing somewhere off the track and they're waving this flag at you. And it, if you think back to the days of, say, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, before even radios were that easy to get a hold of and that easy to use, the controllers at the track needed some way to communicate with a driver in a car and tell that driver what was going on, whether there was something blocking them up ahead, surface conditions, a disabled car that they needed to slow down for, full course caution, pace car coming out. You needed some way to tell the driver, hey, this is what's going on. And that flagging system has remained in place essentially unchanged up until today. So what we have done, what a lot of series have done, <clears throat> is developed a way to improve that. We still use the corner workers and the flag, the flag systems, but we now have a system that displays in the car to the driver exactly what the flag condition is where he or she are driving through. And it's about a one inch by three inch uh, LED screen. It's a little panel that goes on top of their, their dashboard. There's a external GPS antenna and a little battery power pack and that's it. It's not much bigger that Bill's got one right there. It's just a wiring harness and a couple of parts. Which and, would be great if we were on television, but it's a podcast, yes, Bill. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Bill I just hate to use. break this to you, Bill, but it's a podcast. I'm so used to video. That's... <laughs> Thanks, Bill, for a visual reference on the radio. Um, so just imagine an extra warning light on your dashboard. Imagine if in your dash cluster, we could just put another LED screen there and it communicates to you the flag conditions. So it tells you if it's a standing yellow, a waving yellow, surface conditions, we can send two-way communications. We can send a black flag to the driver if we need to get them on pit lane. Um, the neat thing about it is it does segments. So if you reference it to Champ Car's rules, Champ Car says that if you can see the flag, you're under the control of that flag station. So the folks at Flagtronics have mapped out each track. So there's basically a GPS line on the track that tells the unit where it is and what flag station it's under the control of. Mm. So if that corner worker has pressed the button for a local yellow or a waving yellow or whatever their flag station is, the moment you cross that imaginary line on the track, your Flagtronics unit will tell you what the flag condition is, even before you can almost see it, like, like just at the edge of your vision. But if the wind is blowing the flag out straight, or the corner worker is struggling to hold three flags at one time, because we've all seen them do that, your Flagtronics unit is not affected by that. Your Flagtronics unit will show you exactly what the flag condition is there. And probably the best thing, when you get past that flag station and into the control of the next one, our rules say that if there's no flag, you can go back to racing. So it's kind of a passive system. We're relying on the driver to look ahead and go, I don't think there's a flag there, so I guess I'm good. Well, the Flagtronic system is active. It's 
active communication. So when the driver leaves the control of like station one and gets into the area of station two, the flagtronics unit in your dash will flip over to green and it will stay green for 20 seconds. So rather than a passive communication where we're relying on you to look ahead and go, I don't think there's a flag, we're actually telling you, yep, you're good. You're past the station and you can go back to racing right now. And, and it's awesome. Yes, based. It really is. And a lot of tracks, several at least, have moved to what they're calling this code 35 or purple 35 thing. And again, I'll, I'll use Bill's visual reference. For all the people out there listening who are F1 fans, raise your hand if you're an F1 fan. Because if you're an F1 fan, there's two hands up right there. You're familiar with the virtual safety car. Right. And what this system is, is essentially a virtual safety car. And VIR does it best. So let's say you've got a disabled car on track and the rescue trucks have to go get it. Well, in the old days, you'd go local yellow there in two or three stations. And now you're putting people out in a truck, people out on the ground. They've got to hook up to this vehicle. It, it's dangerous. I mean, they do it well, and those guys know their job really well. But there still is an element of danger there because you've got cars coming through here. Well, what you do with the Code 35 system is you go standing yellow around the whole track. Start lowering people's speed. Champ car rules, standing yellow, 70% race speed, no passing. Then about 10, 15 seconds later, they put out another flag, a white flag with a big 35 in the middle of it. And they ask everybody to slow down to 35 miles an hour, the whole track. Well, your flagtronics unit will click over to a white and purple display that says 35. Most people don't have speedometers in their race car, but because the system is GPS based, mm. if you exceed 35 miles an hour, the unit will start flashing at you. And very importantly, on the screen up in race control, where we see all the cars going around, your little yellow indicator will turn to red and it'll flash at me to tell me <laughs> nice. that you're going over 35 miles an hour. So I'll know. So I then they nice. clear the incident. And then after the incident is cleared, they withdraw the 35. So now you're back to standing yellow. You start increasing your speed back up to 70% race speed, still no passing. 10 seconds later, we pull the yellow flag and you're back to green. We don't have to wait for the leader to chase down the pace car. We don't have to figure out who's in second or third if the leader pits. And man, if you've ever been in race control, when they're clear and they're ready to go back to green, they look at me, they go, we're clear, go back to green. And the pace car is right at the start finish line. And I got to let them go around another whole lap. And that costs you, the customer, two, three, maybe five minutes of green flag racing, which is what you paid to come and do. So systems like this allow me to clear my incidents so much quicker and get you back to green flag racing, which is ultimately what my customers paid to come and do. So it's a huge benefit to everybody. So what you're saying is if you were to implement the system in Abu Dhabi, then Lewis Hamilton would still be the champion because there would have not been. A, but never mind. That's a Carol, you answer that. <laughs> Let me jump on that because twice this year in, yeah. in Champagne, twice in, in, in 2021. And man, I tell you, I had my heart in my throat each time. But I am of the opinion that the racers came to race. And that no one wants to see a race end under yellow. Right. So twice in 2021, we had just enough time to get one full lap in under yeah. green. Both yeah. times I pulled the pace car in and the race control people at the track are like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, no, not really. But I know my customers want to race. And, and twice I pulled that, that pace car in and went back to green for nice. one full lap. And thankfully, my racers rewarded me with a good, clean lap. And everybody got a green flag finish under it. And, you know, it, it, it can be risky, but that's what the racers paid to come and right. do. And I hugely believe that my racers came to race. And I want to give them every opportunity I can to race under green flag. 
Awesome. So two things. I, much of my life in racing was as a flagger and at some point a flag chief. So, And I'll tell you, from the flagger world, these light systems are really controversial. They're, they're like, you know, they're going to eliminate the flaggers. You snuck a little something in there which and then just like ran right past. And I want to go back to it for a second. Other than a full course yellow or a safety car, the controllers are still controlled by flaggers standing on corners, right? Yes. We have a, a physical device that we hand out to each flag station. And there is about a two foot, no, about a one foot, one foot by one foot LED panel at each station. And the flagger, Bill's using his hands again, the flagger has this handheld device. And he or she, when we tell them go local or they call on the radio and say, hey, I'm waving or I'm standing, they've got a physical flag in their hand. And in their other hand, they press the button. And that way the electronic unit marries up. So we still want a physical person there to control it. And, right. and they're able to give me accurate feedback on what's happening so that I can officiate a better race. But yeah, the flag the flag person, the flagger at the physical stand is still an integral part of this system. He or she is the one pressing the button. We can do it secondhand upstairs or we can clear it for them if they've got three flags in their hand that are trying to put them all down we can clear the flag for them remotely but they are still the leading person in deciding what the flag condition is locally right. and brian the flaggers still um they're the eyes the ears and the nose of the people at the corner i mean you can't with an electronic system you can't smell if that's oil or gas or, right, or whatever right. flying out of that car right Right. And I'll tell you, as a person who has stood on corners for, for two decades and someone who's driven race cars, the most diligent driver will not see every flag displayed to them. It's impossible. No. If you're in a fight with two or three cars, I don't care how you know good you are at paying attention to your flags. You're just not looking at the flags. You're trying not to kill someone or kill yourself. So so that's, that's one thing. The last thing I was well, going to say is... Um, I want to see this system set up so that it, it's connected to the ECU so that when it goes yellow, the drivers actually do slow down or even better <laughs> connected to like a taser or a cattle prod yeah. so that when the We've yellow that comes on. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. Had that conversation and the people at Flagtronics assure me that it is technically feasible. Yeah. Although all joking aside, right. we have discussed with them a future state where the flag that the LED would be a display around the ring perimeter of the driver's helmet visor. Like a heads so up display. Actual, like a subtle, it, it would show up yellow inside their visor, just like a subtle ring around the visor. And that's getting really complicated because we'd have to have equipment in each driver's helmet, but it right. is technically feasible. And the way that James Ballinger and the people at Flagtronics have designed their system, it is highly expandable. They've built a huge amount of future state capacity into the system. So just as you get right now, it, it is capable of growing and developing into all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, you can plug. It actually has a, I forget what they call it, CAN bus or something like that, where you can plug it into your dashboard and it'll display. And then yep. for folks that are colorblind, we've had a lot of issues over the years where folks that are colorblind had a problem seeing the yellow flags and some of the other flags. Um, this actually displays a, a letter with it as mm, well. Right, so cool. it tells right. you which flashes between like the, 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 the letter Y in yellow and then a yellow block with a displaced black Y in the middle of the yellow. And it flashes between those two states to yeah. get your attention and to tell you same thing with the black flag. It flashes from black to a B slash F to black B slash F. So right, right. 
we've gone a lot of ways to communicate this stuff to the driver to make nice. it accessible for everyone who wants to race in our series. I prefer the cattle prod taser idea, but, but <laughs> that all sounds good too. That all sounds good too. All right, so you know, twenty twenty two is upon us. You're what a week away when we air this podcast when it goes live from your first race of the year. Let's talk about two things. First of all, the schedule for twenty twenty two. Is there anything new? What are you excited about? What's going on with the schedule for 2022? Man, the schedule for 22. The first thing I could tell you is it's full. I, I was actually just looking at it now because uh, someone emailed me and asked if we could help them with timing and scoring for their series, you know, something separate. But I was looking at the dates and I was like, oh, God, there's like no holes in this thing. Uh, I am excited about a couple of things. The first thing is Ozarks. It's a brand new track. We're going to be one of, not necessarily the first, but one of the first organizations to run a green flag wheel-to-wheel race there. It's going to be our national championship for the 2021 season. So I'm really excited to bring a new venue and a new event to the racers. We've had a lot of people asking about tracks, their favorite track, new track, someplace different. And it's in a part of the country that is a little little thin on big high-name bucket list tracks. So I'm hoping to check a couple boxes there new venue, venue in an area that's not highly served already, and the championship event. So really excited about that. Um, We've got extra races out in California. We've added uh, another one to the list out there, and we've added a different format, right? We're we're trying to shake up the format a little bit out there to, you know, give the West Coast people some variety and some options. Um, I actually just signed a contract yesterday. I'm still, I told Bill the other day, still, I still can't say what it is and how it's going to go because I got to get confirmation from the track, but uh, I just, just signed the contract yesterday and and returned it for a venue, another central area venue. Um, It's going to be an interesting format. Um, It it, it should be, it should be a big deal. Um, It's going to be a name that everybody recognizes. It's going to be a long, our home, our, our, our roots as Champ Car were long-term endurance stuff. So this will be another long-range endurance race. And, uh, yeah, as soon as I get confirmation from the track that everything's good, we'll release that. Um, we added Carolina Motorsports Park last year. So that's back on the schedule. That was a really fun event. Um, we are in talks with Brainerd still. We're going to try and get Brainerd back on the schedule. So, yeah. Uh, in fact, my, my biggest problem right now is getting enough staff and equipment yeah get to everywhere that I want to go. So, Right, right. So Brainerd, for those who haven't been there, as one of my one of my growing up tracks when I was a kid, we used to do Brainerd every Memorial Day weekend. And I remember sitting with a little tiny four-inch television on Sunday Memorial Day weekend, watching the Indy 500 and running to pit lane for each session and coming back and 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 telling my dad, you know, you know what? I think you're okay for this session. There's four lap, 14 laps left in the Indy 500. And he'd look at me and go, no. Now you can you can come to the pit lane, you know that kind of thing. So Brainerd's a fantastic venue. It has got the, one of the fastest turn ones, if not maybe the fastest turn one in North America. It is a banked right hander that it's at the end of a drag strip, a literal drag strip. So you hit that thing flat out, and it is it's it, there is some definite pucker factor at at Brainerd. Now, Dana's actually run a few races there in okay. all sorts of weather, and he has yes. a lot of stories about that. Yeah, the drag strip is pretty awesome until it rains, then yes. not so much. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, And, of course, you know, you, you're, you're going to join us again down the road when you can make that big announcement. We really, we're looking forward to that when, when that time comes. So we, we talked about the schedule. What else should we know new for 2022? 
So we are talking to, uh, it's actually an organization that's, that's housed and owned by Haggerty Motorsports. And if you've ever been to Road America and used their speed waiver system, uh, where it's an online waiver thing where you don't have to do all the paper stuff and everything, we are working to get that incorporated to fill two things. The, the first is it will fill and replace the need to bring a paper waiver to the track as we normally do. And we are going to incorporate our gear check, right? So when you come to the track as a participant, you need to think about safety in two phases. The first is the car, right? The car has to go through tech inspection and get checked to make sure it complies with our safety rules. But you as the driver need to get your personal gear checked, right? That's the stuff you wear on your body when you climb into the car from helmet down to shoes. And the process now is you bring all of that to a gear check location at your first event for the year. And we check it. We put a sticker on it for the year and, and it works and it's quick and it doesn't take up all that much time. But there is a time factor involved and we've got to buy stickers and put them on helmets. And what will happen is, is you'll buy a new helmet during the year and forget to get your helmet checked or you'll buy, you know, you'll you'll switch gears. Something will happen. You'll bring the wrong gear. You'll bring the wrong helmet. It happens. It happens all the time. And, it, and it's a pain, but we have to be rigid about it because if you're on track with gear that has not been checked and inspected by us to make sure it complies, there's a huge liability problem there. So what we're going to do is we're going to roll that into the speed waiver. So when you register for the event as the driver, you will go on the speed waiver system, you will sign your participation waivers, and you will sign and acknowledge that you will comply with the safety gear requirement. And then when you go to registration, when they check you in, when they give you your participant wristband, that will signify that you're, you've agreed to your gear check stuff also. So it's one less step at pit out. Right now at pit out, they check your wristband to make sure you're a legitimate driver and they check your helmet sticker to make sure your gear's checked. Now they'll be checking one thing, the wristband, and that will ensure that both things basically. We're not quite ready to roll it out yet. We've had some technical problems with getting their system to talk to our system, but they are problems that are not insurmountable. We will get them rolled out, uh, probably not in time for Road Atlanta at this point, but early part of the, the first quarter of the year or so, I expect to get that rolled out. So again, it's part of streamlining the incident. It's part of streamlining things so that the, the drivers, the participants, the customers, when they come to our track, when they come to our race, it's, it's smooth, it's easy, no barriers, you know, smooth process from registration to on track. Love it. Love it. Bill, anything else we should talk about before we let the boss go? I don't know. Uh, Dana, the uh, you know pay raises are due here soon. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so, you know, we, God. you're funny you and, I, and looks are not your best quality. I know. You and I, um, we work together every day. And one of the things that uh, I think a lot of people don't realize is how much work you actually have to do with this company. It's not one of these nine to five jobs. Oh, no, no, no. It, <clears throat> so, it's been probably one of the biggest change for me, um, just, you know, segueing a little bit to my background between military and law enforcement, you were on duty when you were on duty and you were off when you were off. And, you know, I mean, you know, when I retired, I was a lieutenant in law enforcement. So you were always picking up phone calls here and there, or, you know, somebody had an accident, you had to roll out for it or something. But for the most part, when you were off, you were off. And that has probably been the biggest culture change for me here is there's never off time. Um, Monday through Friday, eight to five, all the businesses, the tracks, the management companies, the insurance companies, the bookkeeper, the accountant, all those professional services that I have to deal with are all online. 
and after five and all day Saturday and Sunday is when the racers are off from their normal jobs and they're in the garage, they're in the shop, they're able to put their attention to champ car. So that's when they ring me up. They've got questions. They hit me with emails, which is fine. Believe me, I'm not complaining in the slightest. The champ car people are a family. They're, they're wonderful people. So I'm not complaining in the slightest, but it was just something different that I had to get used to that customers call when it's, it's convenient for them. So the responsiveness is out there. There's really never off time. There's never away time. You know, I, I took a, a short cruise in, I don't know, mid spring or something last year when, when things kind of freed up a little bit. And even when I was on the cruise, I had the computer open. I was answering emails, taking phone calls. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's just been learning a different world of work for me. It's been pretty exciting. It's been pretty interesting, but um, it's, it's been the biggest culture change that I've had to learn to roll with. Well, that and working with Bill Strong. No, nobody gets used to that. <laughs> the solution to that is that Bill's always telling me how little work he actually does and how he's always kicking back and enjoying life and, you know, t- sipping a, a cold beverage. So you need to push some of that work to him. Well, you see, there's there's a misunderstanding there. See, Bill works really hard. I see him. Bill works hard all the time. No question. The trouble is he accomplishes nothing during that time <laughs> that's the that's the disconnect got it got it all right so i i can't tell you how much i appreciate you know first of all you 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 uh you know getting us involved and in, and in deciding to be you know have the inside champ car podcast that's that's a, a big deal for for your for your customers and uh, for the series and, and all of us here at the racing wire podcast network are really excited to add you to the family here and, and to be our, one of our, our first guest is, is fantastic. So uh, I can't thank you enough for that. And I look forward to talking with you many, many more times over the years as we continue to do this. I would be happy to. I enjoy doing things like this. I like the opportunity to reach out and talk directly to the customers. One of the things I wanted to do last year was get out and talk to the racers more. And and it's hard. When you're the race director, there's always something that needs to be done. That's why I went to a lot of Chelsea's events so that I could just get out and, and talk to the people. I mean, this is a member-owned club, and I don't think people take that as seriously as they should. This is a member-owned club. Everybody that's a member of Champ Car has an ownership stake in the club that that we all run. So we're here to run your club the best way we possibly can for you. So I appreciate being on the show. Thanks for carving out the time for me. I will be happy to be back on again whenever whenever you're scraping the bottom of the barrel for a guest and you can't <laughs> find Bill. I will be happy to sit in for you for a bit. So thank you very much for having me, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. He's Dana Morrison, CEO, president of Champ Car. When we come back, we're going to talk about next week's episode and wrap up the show. This is Inside Champ Car on the Racing Wire Podcast Network. Every race weekend, you don't know what's going to happen. But with ChampCar.Live, all the action comes right into your living room. The Champ Car Endurance Series is North America's home to real competitive endurance road racing. And ChampCar.Live brings you live, full race coverage with in-car, trackside cameras, interviews, and expert commentary. And ChampCar.Live brings you live, full race coverage with in-car and trackside cameras, interviews, and expert commentary. Check out champcar.live on the web, subscribe, and ring the bell so as not to miss a single minute of the action. It's fun, free, informative, and it's just a click away. Champcar.live. Come check us out. We bring you a front row seat, but you'll only need the edge. 
Welcome back to Inside Champ Car. He's Bill Strong. I'm Brian Belansky. Real quick, Bill, next week, we're, we're already over time, so we're, we're not going to have a long tease. But what, what do we got coming up next week on the show? So next week, we talk to Andrew Johnson, uh, one of the car builders and head drivers for the R-Bank Racing Team. Um, they were the winningest. Is that a word? Winningest? Yeah. They won the most in 2021 with their Honda CRX. And uh, who knew a Honda could beat the likes of Porsches and a Riley Corvette and just some really crazy cars out there. And uh, that little Honda can do it. Well, and, and that's uh, what I love about endurance racing, honestly, is yeah, that, yeah. you know, I remember the year when when it uh, the Rolex 24, when the Corvettes beat all of the pr- prototype cars, you know, and and. And that's that's the fun of endurance racing. You you know, there's so much that can happen in the course yeah. of. So, what's your longest race? Again, another dumb guy question. What's your longest race? Well, we start out with seven hours. That's our shortest race. Okay, and we have a uh, 24 hour races as well. Um, we in the past we've done some 36. I think a 38 was the world's longest wow. endurance car race, and Champ Car ran that. And uh, I forget where that was. We've done a couple of them like that. I never participated in them for one. The overtime would just be insane. Yeah. And I just couldn't afford the fuel for that when I was racing. Um, but did anybody yeah, finish the 38 hour race? Oh, yes. Actually, our bank is one of the winners of those races. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, nice. our bank racing and their sobs, um, they run all kinds of different cars. Robin Bank is the uh, actual uh, race uh, director of that, that team. Um, the man is insane to watch. On pit lane, yeah. when I'm walking up and down pit lane interviewing. He, when he's in the lead, which he's normally right there in the top five cars, and you're just watching him, looking at his uh, race, you know, his his phone, looking at the race order times, right. and kind of working out the um, the pit the pit strategy and what other teams are going to do. And every now and then, looking down to see what the other guys doing, and and it's just it's you could sit there for hours, which you do, cool. <laughs> you know, an endurance race, watching him do his stuff. And Andrew, uh, one heck of a driver, young guy. Um, uh, well, not young, but, uh, he's young and to us and he, uh, one heck of a driver with that little Honda. Cool. Cool. All right. I think that does it for us today. Doesn't it? Yes, it does. And, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can watch us and see us and do all kinds of stuff with us, uh, with champ car over this next year. And uh, thank you, Brian, for uh, helping us and uh, starting this off for us. And uh, I think this is going to be a fun, fun year, 2022. And uh, that's it. That's cool. That's cool. And if for anybody who wants to get involved in the TireRack.com Champ Car Endurance Series, go to ChampCar.org on the web. We'll put that in the show notes. And uh, we'll always put all anything we tell you to, to look for on the web, we'll put in the show notes. So if you're driving to the track, you don't have to like try to pull out a pencil and write while you're driving and, and take out the car next to anything. So we'll always put that in the show notes. All Make right. A video if you do. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's going to do it for this week's episode of Inside Champ Car. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe. Subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. If it's not a good one, put it on someone else's podcast page. You can also follow us on social media to find out uh, who our next guest is, possibly leave a question. On Twitter, it's at RacingWireNet. There's a new Inside Champ car every week. He's Bill Strong. I'm Brian Belansky, and this is the Racing Wire Podcast Network.